Hey listeners, welcome back to Geek Life, Panamanga.com's very own podcast. I'm JP. As always with me is my fearless co-host, the Brian. Well, laudy frickin' dog. <laughs> also with us is the vicious co-host, Joe. The mermaid I love is mortally wounded. I've got to rush her back to Atlantis for medical treatment, and my path is now blocked by an atomic sea monster on the rampage. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, Comics are weird. So good, so good. And back with us again is the admin. I don't talk about three things. Politics, religion, and shit about total. <laughs> <laughs> and we have a special guest for the first time, and hopefully the first time of many, Matt. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> now, Matt... <laughs> It always cracks me up when we have somebody on for the first time. Everybody's got all these crazy, wacky things they say. And the first time that someone's on, they always go, Hello. It's like the cheapest little hello. Happens to everybody. Anyway, we'll pop your chair tonight. (laughs) It's okay. I don't have anything intelligent to say anyway. (laughs) Matt actually is a longtime friend of of many people sitting at this table. And is actually the inspiration for the character Matt in Dinner and Dragons. (laughs) Ha (laughs) ha! Go figure. I Go never would figure. have figured that one out. Uh, I know. Man, that's weird. He is sitting here in his pizza t-shirt. <laughs> it is happening right now. This is like looking at a character I draw all week. That, that's <laughs> it's actually, so trippy. That's really funny because I feel very close to the Matt character. And I'm not, I'm not sure why. It's all the spooning, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> so this week, we're going to do comics again. I know that we were going to... Pretend like last week was comics, but it kind of got steamrolled by the Paracast, which which is fine and great and good. And uh, as I was preparing for the podcast and talking to the different hosts this week, Joe came to me and he's like, Hey, so can we do comics again, even though we said last week was comics? Because I've got a really cool idea for a segment. And so I said, Shit, yeah, let's do it. So Joe's got something cool up his sleeve for later. But first we're going to review a comic. But even before that, housekeeping. Ding dong. <laughs> this is you wanting more tits. Were there tits in this one? No, in the la- how could you not remember what yeah. happened last time? Well, I feel yeah, so. I, rem- I feel so gypped. There were well, no. so there was many epic tits. tits last time. We'll, 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 we'll have to show you. Yeah, we'll tits. show you the comic. We'll show I you would the love to see your tits. Yes, it is like the planet of tits. All right, of oh, vampire tits. Yes, space vampire tits. The okay. best kind. <laughs> So first up on housekeeping, just a little update for you guys who haven't been paying attention to the website. First of all, that makes me sad. (laughs) But more importantly, I, JP, have uh, just gone through knee surgery. Aww. And it's exciting. It's exciting. I'm happy to be able to get back and get exercising and get back to the dojo more and everything. But unfortunately, directly after surgery... Before, like the the in-between time before what you want to do because you're having surgery, and the surgery is recuperation. Pills here. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So I've spent the past week in a pain-med-induced coma, trying desperately to not get too far behind on the website and have been failing miserably. So first of all, I apologize to everybody. This is the first time we've really missed some deadlines. I will do everything in my power to get back on track. Next week, we should be back on track, no problem. Uh, Just look for anything that uh, was missed previously this past week, or I guess at the time of this release, the previous week. uh, Should be out by now for your viewing and audio pleasure, depending on whatever the hell it was that we missed. But I did end up going to the doctor today, and he put me on six weeks of no work. (laughs) 
wow. Yeah, so I'm, oh. you know, filing for state disability for a little while. So what does that mean? That means that Panda Manga is going to get supercharged. <laughs> Time for work. Exactly. So I'm, I'm going to be, you know, on my duff in front of the computer with my knee iced and all that crazy stuff, working my tail off and getting Panda Manga back on track and then hopefully get a bunch of backlogged stuff and catch up with some things and maybe develop some exciting new segments and work with the Brian on some stuff that we've got kind of on the back burners right now. We can take those off the back burners and put them on the front burners, I guess. <laughs> so so that's exciting, but also scary. And yeah, so that's that's kind of the, the situation that we're moving into. Also, this month is Movember. And Matt was talking to us about that. Why don't you, why don't you explain a little bit about that? Just, just let everybody know this is important information. This is not Panda Bank information. It's just, just people information. So Movember is in honor of prostate cancer as the... Males don't really have much of a month, like breast cancer and whatnot. In honor of that, we encourage everybody to grow a mustache and grow it wholeheartedly. And if you don't have a mustache, go buy one at a thrift store and wear that. Which is pretty much what I'll have to do. I won't have a mustache <laughs> by the do, end of We should do December. a mustache cast for... <laughs> oh. On it! Let's do this mustache no, cast. This, this, uh, the mustache. This is, I want to crochet the Brian a full man chew. Do it. <laughs> that <laughs> is awesome. I will wear that. I will Just an exaggerated wear that. one. Can I have one too? I mean, I can grow an epic beard, but like that would a be crocheted Fu Manchu, I would totally wear that. That'd be man, and you, awesome. oh man, while you're delivering pizzas too. Oh my gosh, that's not really what I do. <laughs> <laughs> no, this this cause is near and dear to my heart. My father passed away from from prostate cancer a couple years ago, so this is it's a serious cancer. It's a shitty mm-hmm. cancer. It it does kill people for sure. Yeah, it's unfortunate because I feel like uh, prostate cancer isn't really one of those cancers that really gets the the attention that it deserves, unlike... Save the tatas and all that sort of stuff. Obviously, there's a lot of more prominent cancers around, like lung cancer and and several other ones, but prostate cancer is very serious. Get your prostate and your colon checked, because we would like to keep you around to listen, right? Absolutely. Actually, the most common cancer is prostate cancer. It's basically like the... Breast cancer is to females. Essentially, on a long enough timeline, every male will get prostate cancer. Yeah, it's uh, it's like three out of four males, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Which and is... there are four males in the room. Yeah, I have three brothers. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's a, it's, it's a very pervasive. Lots of people get it. And for the most part, if you stay on top of it, then you can get checked and you can either get it treated or removed. And it's normally not a big deal. But unfortunately, like someone like my father, they missed the window of opportunity and it metastasized all over his body. And, uh, you know, we fought hard for a couple of years, but it just ended up taking him in the end. And that's, you know, that's uh, so it is it is serious business. And so, you know, go ahead and support this and grow out your mustache this month. Not to diminish any of the other cancers or women, but no, men are obviously greater, right? <laughs> Admin, your thoughts. <laughs> Our prostates are greater. Yes. Well, there's prostates four greater. of you. Yeah, I could still defeat you all. <laughs> Especially since JP's a gimp. Oh, oh that's blow, blow, just brutal. Right in the prostate. Uh, <laughs> I th- okay, so next up on housekeeping, we've got the Call of Duty Midnight release in the Napa GameStop coming up Monday, November 12th at 10 p.m. Just like last time, we'll be there uh, with bells on. 
No, not really bells on, but we'll be there with uh, Tiger Paw. Tiger Paw might have bells on. Tiger Paw might have bells on. This is, we will have t-shirts know. on, though. This is, yes, we will have t-shirts, And we'll hats, be mostly not naked. And <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we're hoping that it's not going to be rainy because these Call of Duty midnight releases are huge. We're talking 200 people wrapped around the side. I mean, like, we, basically our GameStop is in this little mini mall thing. It's like an island mall where there's basically there's the, there's the parking lot kind of surrounds it like a moat. And people wrap around the entire building almost to get to it. It's crazy. The only problem with that is that there's a Starbucks drive through down the center. So there's so like this gap of people. Oh, standing. no, they'll just take out about five fans at a time. I need my latte. <laughs> well, the problem is, is that they'll be closed by 10 because it's not. Oh, no, a... no, no, no. Starbucks is open till 11 now. Yeah. Saturday's will, till midnight. Which will be interesting because we will be providing free coffee courtesy of Starbucks. Yeah, well, we will, we will endeavor to try provide free coffee courtesy. Of Starbucks. We were able to provide free coffee courtesy of Starbucks. The new Starbucks downtown Napa. What is that? At First Street and Main. It's a really nice new Starbucks and they were super generous and hooked us up with a big old five gallon thing of coffee and a bunch of cups and stirring wand thingamajiggies and it was it was great. It was really nice because it was cold. It was good to have some nice excellent coffee ready to go and keeping us warm and it was, it was a very very generous donation. Hopefully we can continue that relationship with Starbucks uh, downtown in Napa and provide our midnight release guests with some, you know, warm, yummy coffee. Like, and seriously, that container was made of serious awesomeness. 23 hours later, coffee was still yeah, hot. Yeah, and the next wow. morning, the coffee was still hot. Brian came over the next morning to help me get it back to Starbucks, and it was still hot. The next night, <laughs> The actually, next night, actually, It was yeah. 23 hours afterwards, <laughs> wow. and it was still hot. It was pretty magnificent. That is the weirdest competition ever. Well, you could go to Starbucks, or you could stay here and have some Starbucks. Oh yeah. Well, isn't That's that from how downtown? Well, isn't that how like Starbucks is sometimes? It's like I could either go to this Starbucks or across or the street, across to, the that street to that Starbucks, or I could go into the, the Safeway over here and go to the Starbucks inside of that, which is next door to the Safeway. <laughs> the Starbucks exactly. across the street. I think Napa has five Starbuckses, especially in I mean, including the ones that are in stores. No, it's like more like seven if you include the ones inside of grocery stores. Oh, uh, it's insane! It's yeah, insane. There's only one because inside a grocery store. No, no, Target has them now. So yeah, that's right. true. Target Two targets: them. the Safeway, the the one, that one, that one. We have seven. Yeah, which yeah. now outranks the Seven Elevens we have because years ago, when that person crashed into the one on Jefferson Street, we're down to six Seven Elevens. Does oh, that include right. the Quickie Sad. Mart? Because we have a Quickie Mart. We, we do actually have a Quickie, quickie, quickie Mart. Mart. But that is not a 7-Eleven. It is the most ghetto establishment that there is. <laughs> <laughs> You know what was really sad was the Simpson movie, there were certain like 7-Elevens that were rebranded as Quickie Marts. And my roommate at the time thought that there was one in Napa that was rebranded. We were all excited. We were all excited because it actually changed ownerships and changed its name right at the same time. Mm -hmm. So we were all excited and they're like, no, no, we're not a tie-in at all to that. No, you can't go and get your bright pink... Yeah, donuts. No, the a lot of the Seven uh, Elevens do have the bright pink. Uh, we did. Dustin and I got the bright pink donuts at like four in the morning the other night when we were like yeah. on a game binge. <laughs> they're not very good. No, they're really not no, very good. But it felt like a good idea at the time. But on Valentine's Day, they come in heart shapes, which was really great after this past Valentine's Day when somebody totaled my car. Right, and but it, and, it, and the heart shape makes it taste better. No, <laughs> it really. 
really doesn't. No, it doesn't. It's the thought that counts. I don't think other anything can make anything at Seven Eleven that they make taste better. This is possible. Although yeah. I have been a fan of their prepackaged sandwiches lately. <laughs> you know what makes them taste better is being really hungry or really drunk. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Being really drunk makes everything like fifty times. It's the times only time better. Denny's sounds like a good idea. Yeah. If, yeah. if you've ever gone to Denny's not drunk and thought to yourself. Oh God! Why am I here? But when you're drunk, it's like, oh, what should we do? Let's go to Denny's. That sounds like a great idea. So, Gee, yet somehow we were like, hey, we should go to Denny's, and we weren't drunk on. Yeah, well, we were, we were, it was late enough, though. I mean, exhaustion, yeah. well, drunkenness, yeah. it's similar. Anytime, anytime after one in the morning is the equivalent of being drunk any other time of the day. <laughs> so therefore, Denny's is perfectly okay. Yeah, right. Although Saturday, I was incredibly drunk, and I did get Denny's for dinner, and it was probably magnificent. It was awesome, <laughs> but they still don't have the Dagwood. So during the summer, let's not. Let's not open that rabbit hole. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm voting we have a moment of silence for the fallen Dagwood. So during the summer, <laughs> during the summer, the 8th Henry actually spends a lot of time at uh, Denny's because I'm down at Stanford teaching. One time this year, he spent six hours straight in a Denny's during the day. <laughs> wow. It's like his. See, I I will go to the library and read a book that I brought to the library because the library is magnificently quiet and has air conditioning. Well, I have a two-hour window for my lunch break at mm-hmm. work, so it's when I eat lunch and I have two hours, so I usually take a book and I go to like Subway or something and get a sandwich and hang out there for a couple hours. Right, but. Denny's for six hours. Denny's that's, only that's time I spent kind of six hours in a or near six hours was because of really horrendous service. I couldn't imagine just staying in there just cause. Well, the Borderlands two release, we were there for like three hours because of horrendous service. Oh yeah, uh, well they awful. they stuffed us downstairs and forgot that we were there. Yeah, and that was bad. Anyway, all right, coming back to the point. back at the point. The last item on our list tonight is. Terrible Suicidal Monkey Machine by D. Castor is winding to a close. The final couple pages of the first issue, which is all that exists at this time, uh, is going to be coming out over the next month or so. And so make sure to check that out and enjoy that as it winds to a close. And, and you know, at the end of that time, you can actually see the whole thing all at once on pandamanga.com or monkeymachine.pandamanga.com. It's a great comic, very cool. Definitely something that he's looking at moving forward with, but it is not ready yet. Yeah, I can't wait to see what the mystical chicken ninja does to the terrible suicide. To the Balbug monster yeah. guy, yeah. that's It's a really cool comic, and it is really fun. But it's definitely definitely like a, a one-shot, testing the waters, seeing if he really wants to move forward with it sort of thing. But it's gotten enough enough interest that he's he's definitely interested in doing it and he's glad that we put it up on the site and every time we talk about it he's like yeah I really want to I really want to do more of that. So expect to see more of that, you know, I absolutely no timetable on that yet, but expect to see more of that and when there is more of that to enjoy, it will be coming out on pandamanga.com. So, yay. Yay. All right, and that's it for housekeeping. Well, before we move into our review of book 1 in the Fun Day Morning series by Brad Diller, we're going to take a quick musical break. You're listening to Geek Life. Stay with us.
To Geek Life, Panamanga.com's very own podcast. First up today, we are going to talk about book one of the Funday Morning series by Brad Diller. Now, we ran into Brad Diller at the most recent SACCon. I actually ran into him at the previous SACCon before we were at SACCon in any kind of official Pandemanga capacity. And, you know, I sat down, talked to him, you know, gave him my business card and said, hey, we're hoping to come back and cover the next one and maybe get a booth or something like that. And we had a real good conversation. He was a real good guy. And so when we went back, I, I saw that he was there and, you know, waved to him and he's like, hey. And so we actually, you know, went over to the table and got a nice video interview with him. So let's go around and talk a little bit about what we thought for this comic book. It's it's essentially a... It's a collection of uh, the strips that he did for yeah. several uh, newspaper syndications. It is. That's exactly what it is then. It's a collection of the strips over the years that have been in syndication for newspapers that he did. And he's worked at newspapers that it's say for 10 years now. Yeah. Yeah. And several different papers. And it's pretty cool. I really enjoyed it. It reminds me a lot of like the family circus style or... or Far side I, is what I thought. I really got a lot of uh, crankshaft. Yeah? Like, um... Just the husband and wife, the uh, interactions, the snarky remarks, it seemed very cranky. Yeah, back and forth off of, yeah. off of each other. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and very, yeah, I would say that that snarky is a really good way to put that. The, the kind of entire tone of this comic, you know, series is very snarky. Definitely. It, it pokes fun at any topic, really. Like, from what I saw, there was a couple political things to uh, married life to just about any To just topic. even puns. I yeah, mean, yeah, anything, yes. anything. Yeah. yeah. And, and, it's, and for the most part, it all really hits the mark and is, is, is genuinely at least chuckle-worthy, which is really what you want for something like that, you yeah, know, I, for periodical sort of stuff. It doesn't have to be roll around on the floor laughing every time or be really compelling. It has to be, ha, that's, that's clever. Yeah, and that's what you want. When you've got only, like, a single frame or two frames and you've got... Just right. a line of text underneath. Chuckle worthy is pretty much what you're aiming for. for Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I uh when I picked it up when I was uh <laughs> thumbing through it, it's the funny pages, just the the short strips. The compilation of them, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's the short strips from funny pages and I really liked the fact, like you said, that every one that I read I kinda just ah, you know, that's funny. You can tell that they that they were handpicked. I'm sure that there's a lot more in existence than, than the ones that are here. I'm sure that there's a couple that he considered, oh, maybe that one doesn't really, shouldn't be in the one Definitely. in print if you really yeah. pre- present my work. But there's a lot of stuff in here. I mean, there's, there's what is it, 78, 79 pages? And several pages actually have yeah. multiple comics on yeah. one of them. And I actually, the, the, that was one thing that was kind of fun about the book is that the layout was really interesting. It wasn't yeah. monotonous in any way. There was some pages that had a big, beautiful, full one page that's like way bigger than you'd get to see in the funnies, which I think is neat. Yeah, and uh, and then some of them more kind of that normal size, kind of in a, in a group together, and one of them even had this interesting kind of cascading windows effect, and it was pretty cool layout, I think. You know the uh, the idea that I had from it was it's a it's a great coffee table book, totally. Like um, to put on like there's even like a like a coffee mark on the front on the top of the <laughs> exactly, book. Exactly. Yeah, I mean it, it had that that great feel of throw it on the table, have your friends come over, look through it. And everybody that looks through it is going to find something they like. And there's going to be a topic that they're going to laugh about. And he did a really good job of hitting everybody in, the, in his target audience. 
I really didn't feel like anybody would be left out at all. Yeah, I didn't yeah. feel like that the, the, any of the jokes were exclusionary or anything mm-hmm. like that. It didn't feel kind of pigeonholed into a particular kind of humor, a humor that depended on a particular sort of life experience. It it was just sort of sort of thing that you you go through life and you notice things on your own, and it's kind of like that's ridiculous. And he kind of formats that in a way where it's like, no, that is ridiculous, and you should see this, <laughs> and it's funny, you know. Yeah, he uh, the over exaggeration of of some of the things like. There's the one of the ones that stuck out to me was they're leaning against the bar, obviously at a at a bar, and there's a guy with his head shoved up his ass. He's like, <laughs> "Oh, you must be in politics." <laughs> Which, I mean, who doesn't get that? Yeah, you know, that it's so, so funny. Yeah, it's a, it's so a, such a typical <laughs> remark about politicians is this guy's got his head so far up his ass he won't see the light of day, you know. And to me, it was like, yeah, I. I and right now, obviously, with all the, the election and everything coming up within the next couple of weeks, it really, I thought, was that much funnier because of the timing of it. Totally. And I'm sure, no doubt, when that one actually came out, it was in, in a time where there was elections going on either locally or nationally. You yeah, know, that's, that's the nice thing about doing you know, a periodical type comic mm-hmm. book is that you can, or comic strip, is that you can, you can have it be relevant. Yeah, if you do, even if you do a weekly or a, a daily comic, it's so easy to be topical. Anytime something comes out, you're prepared to have it ready within the next couple of days. So, like, if you do web comics you, and you update once a week, or if you do every other day or every other week, you're so ready to be on top of it. But if you're doing like a monthly, then it's hard to keep up with some things. And mm-hmm. so, that's I think that's one of the advantages of doing a newspaper style comic is that you're ready to cover any topic at any time. Yeah, it's much more flexible in that capacity. And these days with all the celebrity 24/7 coverage, you got cannon fodder for years. Oh, yeah. I recently just started watching The Daily Show and you know, I had seen a couple random episodes assorted through the years and I started to DVR it and just watch them. And it's hilarious, but and what, they put- what's an episode out every day. Yeah, I think four days Thursday. a week. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and what what blows my mind? What I realized after because because I'm thinking like, oh, this must have been this must have been a particularly good episode. And then the next one was also a particularly good episode. And over and over again, and I'm thinking to myself like, how do they have material for a half hour long show that's like that ridiculous? And the material friggin' writes itself. It's hilarious. <laughs> you know, to be fair, half of it is an interview. True. Yeah. Well, not always. There is very consistently every single day new stupid shit that people do. That he can poke fun at. <laughs> well, it's incredible. That's the problem with uh, media now is that, or I guess not the problem, but the reality of media is that there's a camera on somebody 24-7. If you follow any one of us here around 24 hours a day, you're going to find some stupid shit that we do. Exactly. Like, yeah. it's, there's, no easy, there's no way you can get out of it. And no. to be a public figure, it's magnified that much more. If you're walking off stage and you fart, of course it's going to be hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's just easy. It's easy comedy because everybody does stupid shit. If you follow Jon Stewart around with a camera all day, every day, sure. he's going to do something stupid enough to be on his own show. Oh, you yeah. know? And it's like, I think it's almost... A cheap way to get laughs Mm -hmm. in a way because it's so easy to do that now with the technology we have it's just that's actually a really interesting point Mm -hmm. we should probably do a segment on that sometime like all on its own because that's that's a pretty rich topic Mm -hmm. what's really interesting is that um as a matter of fact i heard about this on the cold bear report uh there (laughs) is a company that just created a clippable camera you put it on your lapel and it takes pictures every 30 seconds to document your life oh dear good lord 
Yeah, I actually thought it would be really interesting to do like at a con or something for Panda Manga coverage. Oh, that'd be fun. Well, it's mm -hmm. the same concept as like the GoPro or anything where, you know, you have a high definition camera, you can stick to your forehead. And it Except <laughs> this would be far more hilarious because well, yeah. it's every 30 seconds. So say if I was doing my standard thing and running into something or falling, you'd have this great like stop motion version of it as the ground becomes closer and closer and closer. As the admin, your your daily life would make an awesome flip. So, oh, so if you're falling, you take like three minutes to fall down? Is yeah. that what you're saying? Okay, I As do a motion. lot of flailing. Oh, it's, it's, almost, it's like the admin falls in slow-mo. Oh, no, the, the, the worst Stop. kept secret of the admin is that I'm horribly clumsy. I actually. <laughs> no, I, I mean. Well, it's uh, secret yeah, from I, the listeners. It's yes. a secret from anybody who oh. hasn't seen me in person for more than 30 seconds. I would have thought by now, after hearing you, they would have gone. <laughs> oh, 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 okay, okay. Let's, let's get let's get back. Let's no, get back hear, to hearing her. They just think she's drunk. <laughs> this is true. It's been More quite a while. It happens a couple times. Drunkers, it's been quite a while since I've made appearance on the podcast. Is drunk or sick? Um, this is true. Yeah, you're getting on time. Well, yeah. And this is episode twenty-five. I know. Yeah, it's been holding my arms up. Two yeah. whole months. You know, twenty-five is a great day for a drink, right? <laughs> Maybe we should do that. All right. Break out the tequila. Anyway, so does anybody does anybody have anything that they would in particular like to bring up about this book before we get into actually the review itself? It's very traditional. I very. mean, obviously it's designed for newspapers, so it has to be. But there's something kind of refreshing after you know what we've been going through for the past couple of months, looking at all digital to actually sit down with something that's very traditional. I mean, the shading is pointillism style. So you have the dots that are kind of vague and get denser and denser Which and denser. Which is awesome. Yeah, it takes and a lot of time. And it's in no way just rehashed. Because there are several comics where the top right and left corners are pointillism style shaded a little bit darker. And then fades in, sort of like, you know, the shading on a wall. that You get that sort of natural, you know, circular light shade on a wall when you have, you know, like a, like a light in a house or something like mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And it's a really neat way to show that. But it's like that on a lot of, if not all, the comics. And uh, one of the first things that I looked for was, are these the exact same dots? And they're not. Not at all. They are redrawn every time, even though it's essentially a background piece, even though it's essentially exactly the same effect and pretty much the same image that he's going for every time. Mm -hmm. He actually takes the time to redo that every time. And, and in this world nowadays, a lot of people don't do that. You know, If there's yeah. something that's recyclable, bang, they just recycle it. And it's actually, like the admin said, it's refreshing and quite honestly impressive that somebody's sticking to their guns and continuing to do it in you that know, fashion. It's funny that you bring that up because like you said with the uh, the backgrounds being the same, there was like, I brought up the bar scene with the politician right? and there was at least seven that I noticed scenes where they were at the bar where the punchline had something to do with the bar and they all were drawn either the, the bartender was behind the bar or in front of or there was no bartender there was two people, three people, whatever it was and like you said, to not rehash the same, oh, I'm standing at the bar with the bartender. It was all refreshing to see. Like, it's the same concept, the joke, the underlying joke is there, but the the idea is different. Yeah. Definitely. It's impressive for somebody. It's so incredibly tempting to rehash imagery. Yeah, the attention to detail he went through is nuts. I noticed in a lot of the scenes that take place in the kitchen, the notes there are the so dinner. much going on. The notes have part yeah, of the, the like, every single time, the notes are different. And, and a lot of the time, they have something to do with the joke. Yeah, mm -hmm. a little bit of extra punchline mm -hmm. worked in. I thought that was brilliant. 
Oh, absolutely. I would say that artistically, one of the things that I enjoyed the most is the way that he described the outside. When they're outside by the trailer or just sitting doing a picnic sort of thing or by a tree or in a field, the way that he was able to suggest grass was really excellent. And I know from personal experience that that can be kind of one of the more difficult things. If you're having somebody, like for example, let's take the bar scene. If you're trying to draw a scene at a bar, you can get a reference picture of a bar, figure out how that works, find the vanishing point, and create that exact image reproduced in a comic book, and get out your ruler, you figure it out, and it is what it is. But when it's a field, it's like you can't possibly draw all of the detail for something like that, leaves, foliage, all that sort of stuff. There's such a high level of detail and minute things going on in the background that it's totally unrealistic. And so what you have to do is you have to suggest that there's grass there. You have to do things that all this visual suggestion sort of stuff. Kind of a funny side note as far as the outside comics go. Did anybody else feel like they were living on a cliff? Almost. Yeah, I think I think there was one joke where the the backside of the hill was like a sheer drop. Yeah. Even before that, just the way that he made the sky look, I really felt like they were living on this strange precipice, this open field, and there was their trailer, and then just steep drop on all sides. It did feel like they were up high somewhere. Mm. You know what uh, I think a lot of us glossed over when looking at it initially is the family lives in a trailer. Mm -hmm. How many comic families, like Family Circle or anything, are low-income families or poor Mm. or anything? Most of the time they're drawn as middle class or, or not necessarily, well, I guess in Richie Rich. Yeah, I was gonna say Richie Rich or like uh, Archie Comics. They were they were kind of wealthy. Well, yeah, you typically get lower to upper middle class, and that's kind of the most common thing, especially in America. That's one of the reasons why, if you go out of the country, a lot of the time people have a very skewed understanding of how your average American lives because they see the American television and somehow expect that we all have two car garages and three cars and two story houses and a pool in our backyard. It's like no. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean the. The title of the comic really um, gives you that impression right away. I mean, it's called The Neighbors Have Two Flamingos. And it implies two pink flamingos who has pink flamingos in the yard is mainly people that live in a trailer, honestly. <laughs> is that the title or is that one of the jokes? Title. I think yeah. It's the title of the book, mm-hmm. I, I would assume. But it's, that's it's the joke on the cover. The they're, sitting the there, yeah, mm-hmm. they're sitting there on the lawn chairs looking at their one pink flamingo and she's... Being jealous that she's bitching at him. It's like, well, the neighbors have two flamingos. (laughs) It's like, no matter what you have, you want more, even if it's crappy. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. So I I noticed that, like, when I was going through it as well, is that it was a poor family. It was a kind of a different look at comics in a way, and it was a different look at a family that's involved in comics. Because, I mean, all the families or the comics that we likened it to in the beginning, Crankshaft and Family Circle and... Family Circus. Cir- circus, yeah, sorry, Family mm. Circus. Far Side. Uh, far Side, yeah. I mean, those are... I mean, I guess Far Side doesn't really... Far Side's kind of all over the place. Yeah, yeah. it doesn't really have... It's neither here nor there, I guess, but That like, deals more with the animals being smarter than the people, frankly. Yeah, yeah. so I, I really thought it was interesting to portray that... Or the people in this one is poor, so... It's definitely an interesting choice, especially considering after having read through the whole book, not not really necessary to tell the jokes or frame the story or even have the characters have the personalities that they do for them to be living in a trailer. It's just, mm-hmm. it was it was clearly like a choice that was made. 
It wasn't necessarily something that felt like, well, this is a natural extension of the story I'm trying to tell, you know what I mean? Perhaps it was, but for me it feels like you could transplant these guys into almost any different situation, yeah. and the jokes would still work, like, excellently. You know what I... Except for one. There was one where he's in the bar and he said, I had it all. Wife, kids, a truck, a double wide, and a mullet. <laughs> That just really wouldn't <laughs> yeah, work That's elsewhere. true. That's, that one in particular, yeah. yeah. Well, I, did you know, you're talking about the, the story that it tells all in all, and did you notice the first comic, I guess it was the first two, honestly, were them getting married, the, the main <laughs> couple in the book getting married, and the very last one was him at the pearly gates. <laughs> so the, the bookends that he used for the comics that he chose, I thought was a really good idea, and the, the way he presented it, and it seemed very thought out, but the whole story throughout... And the idea that we started with the marriage and we're going to end with the guy being dead. Until death do us part. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, it must be quite a challenge to compose a book of one-shot Sunday funny style comics. Because a lot of the time they're not in a sequence of any type. Maybe they have consistent characters with consistent challenges. You know, there's even something like Calvin and Hobbes or, or Garfield. There's, there's kind of a, a background story going on, but you could easily mix things up in a way that it doesn't really matter. But there is, I mean, obviously, as the creator of the comic, he has a much more in-depth understanding of how it all works and how he wanted it to happen. But it is cool that there is kind of a subtle progression and it is logical, even though you could flip open to any page and not feel like, oh, I didn't read the previous pages, so I don't know what the hell's happening. Yeah. I noticed that in the middle of the book is when they really started to bring in the uh, the kid, mm -hmm. the kid mm -hmm. as well. So I, just the the whole story of the marriage and the, the life of the two characters, it was interesting. And it was an interesting idea as far as being a comic of one-shot newspaper-style comics mm -hmm. and to be able to tell a story that went from marriage to death. It was a really subtle yeah. sort of uh, incorporation. It really accomplished yeah. a lot more than you would expect from something in that format, I think. Yeah, definitely. And, yeah, and, and again, just uh, again, I think I just want to reiterate how impressed I am with the art style. I really do like it a lot. I like, you know, you can tell that it's very skillfully done, very thoughtfully done, and very meticulous in many different places, even though the characters are very cartoony and stylized. Mm -hmm. The husband doesn't even really have eyes. He's, his eyes are covered up by a baseball cap all the time, mm -hmm. you know. And, but it's excellent. It's excellent drawing. It's solid, which I think is awesome. I think that people that draw what could be considered simpler characters often get written off as not as excellent. And I would argue that the simpler characters in many ways the require or really demand a higher level of attention to detail. Yeah, because it's, it's really easy to make simple characters look like crap. Oh, absolutely. I was actually having a conversation with somebody this afternoon about drawing Artistic Monk and how terribly important it is to get his head the right shape. And for <laughs> anybody that reads Artistic Monk, you're thinking to yourself, his head's a circle, John. <laughs> but it's really not. You know, it's a little bit flatter in the forehead. It kind of comes out around the nose and mouth area. It scoops in for the chin. He's got a little, like, kind of... Labrador noble on the top. I mean, it's all incredibly subtle, but I guarantee you that if I switched those things around, he'd look funny. But you're not meant to recognize those things. You're meant for it to feel right without ever feeling like, oh, that's, you know, you because you you're not going to look at and go, oh, that guy has a big forehead or oh, this or oh, that. It's supposed to just feel like the same character, but there's a lot that goes into making them look just right, as I would say, even especially when they're simple characters. Well, yeah, even talking about the characters and how important it is how they look. I mean, I read a lot of Penny Arcade, and if you right. go back and look at their very early stuff, the so characters, different. yeah, the characters look completely different, but they still have a lot of the same style to them, yeah. and all of the uh, the 
styles that they've gone through since then and the style changes and the little tweaks and this and that. Both of the characters look incredibly the same and incredibly different as time has gone on and... It's a like that for a lot of the really good ones online. One of my favorites is Control Alt Delete by Tim Buckley. Yeah. And you look at his original stuff, and it's available online. I think the first couple of them were available for free on his uh, iPhone app. And it's wild how different it looks, but at the same time, it looks exactly like the characters. You can tell who's who, no problem. It's progressed a lot. And that's something that I've come to realize in the very small amount of time that I've been working on a couple comics, is that it's almost like the characters already exist somehow, and you are getting to know them better. And they like are being revealed as you work on them more. It's kind of like, these characters, they really want to look this way, they really want to move this way, they really want to have this sort of a feel to them, and the more you get to know them, and the more you draw them, and the more you read scripts and have conversations with the writing team and the creative team, it can become increasingly clear who they are, as if they're already in existence and you're getting to know them better somehow. It's kind of like the writer's narrative of the characters just start writing themselves. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's very cool. Uh Coming back to Penny Arcade, I have the uh, 11th anniversary edition book they put out, you know, and in there they have a little blurb about the evolution of the characters and the styles that he went through. And he kind of talks about how he went through like lighting changes and stuff and trying to do like lighting effects in the comics. And then eventually he got away from that and went more to simplistic style which really brings up comes back to the initial point of how a simple style is better because you can do a lot more by saying less in some ways. That's I think one of the strongest points that Brad Diller is able to bring to this, the fun day morning comics is that he's able to do a lot with a little. And I don't mean that he has a little to work with as in like skill or a story to tell or humor. I mean that he doesn't choose to give his himself a lot to tell the story. He's got one panel. He's got probably one line. I would imagine that he has in his mind a word count that he's trying to stay under. He's got typically only a handful of characters. You don't get to do a lot of visual storytelling when you've only got one page. I mean, let alone the simplicity of the characters, which, again, is great, but also in some cases can be challenging. And so it's kind of a ballsy thing, and he, I think, is very successful in it. Yeah. I completely agree. I think all the things he does is by design. Like you said, the simplistic look, all of the punchlines are maybe five words. You know, it's very quick. Here it is. It's very polished. Yeah, and I really like it. It was was interesting as far as a um, newspaper comic. I thought it was great. Totally. Yeah, I think this is just one of the many cool things about dipping into the independent comic community and one of the reasons why I'm so excited that we ongoingly cover independent comic conventions and have access to uh, you know, comic creators and things like that that do self-publishing and whatnot, is that not only do you get... Well, first of all, you, don't get, you get things that you n- wouldn't normally get elsewhere. I mean, yeah, in theory, we could stumble across Funday Morning online because at fundaymorning.com, but very likely, it's just as likely, we may not. There's, the Internet's huge. <laughs> as easy as it is for things to spread like wildfire, it's easy also for us to... Just never run into something. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so it's awesome to be able to have access to the very exclusive and special community that is independent comics. But my point that I'm trying to make is, is that it's also great because it's so varied. We came home from that weekend with comics about naked vampire women from outer space. We came home with comics about cataloging a story of hiking through the Appalachian Mountains. We have this comic. There's so many different things, and all of them are excellent. 
and all of them are independently made and published. And it's just, it's just, just tickles me at how amazing and diverse that community is. It's you just know, so awesome. It's just a, this book is a testament to the range that that community has. That's really the like, the great thing about comics is that with pictures and minimal words, you can tell any number of stories. And you can do it with any number of art styles. I've seen comic books that are elaborately painted portraits every page. And yep. I've seen ones that are very small pencil drawings. What was the zombie comic that you brought by from the library a little while ago, Joe? What was that one? Oh, um... Right, right, right. Daybreak by Brian Ralph. Right. That was awesome and incredibly minimalistic. Yeah. It was the six panels on each page. Yeah, actually, every single panel had six panels that were all square and equal distance and equal mm-hmm. size and everything like that. Yeah. There was, a, what, four characters if you included the dog? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and everything was very gestural and stuff, and mm-hmm. that one would be a neat one to review. That one was a really cool one. Yeah. But anyway, so, yeah, does anybody have any other thoughts they'd like to say? I know we normally go around in a circle and let people have an individual time, but we kind of just kind of went at it all together, and that felt like it worked out. Is that you guys feel complete? Do you have anything else you want to say about this one before we give our final reviews? I got nothing. Nothing? All right, hold on a second. Aww. All right, well, let's go around and see what everybody thought and you know, give our ratings. And for those of you that are new to Pandamanga.com, our rating system for comic books is one to five issues, and you can have half issues. And the idea is, you know, based on what you've read here, how many more issues would we be interested in reading? Now, with something like this, it can be kind of challenging because it's kind of a complete thought, and it's actually a lot of, you know, because the dose that this is meant to be given is not a, a book this size. This is meant to be a single page weekly sort of thing. You know, so it's a little bit tricky to try and use our system for this one. So maybe we can talk about how much more we'd like to see of this, but maybe more shift over to a kind of quality scale or something like that. Does that does that make sense, you guys? Yeah. It's a little unfair for this sort of a format of comic to really use our traditional system. Does that make sense, Brian? Makes perfect sense to yeah. me. Okay. So anyway, so Brian, why don't you go first? So I'm going to give this one a three. And here's the reason. Like JP was saying, this is a completely pretty much encapsulated thing you read one you don't really need to keep buying more issues although he is working on a second compilation yes which Mm -hmm. would be kind of cool but the way i see it is you know if this was a hardbound thing i could see myself at least buying two or three others and giving them to friends who like this style i'm like here merry christmas and by merry christmas i don't mean i'm giving to them as a christmas gift it's just one of my sayings like somebody asks Can you pass the salt? Yeah, here, Merry Christmas, you know? That's just kind of how I (laughs) roll. This is how he does. Yes, so... It is a great coffee table book, like Matt said. That's definitely something that I'd be happy to have and probably will just kind of leave out on the coffee table, you know? Any other thoughts, Brian? That is all. That is all. Matt, how did you feel about this one? Honestly, I would probably give it a four. And my thought process on that is, like Brian said, I probably wouldn't buy the second one in this this series when he comes out with the second book. But I'd buy this one. I'd leave it on the coffee table. But where I get my number four rating out of is if i saw this comic in the newspaper it'd probably be one of the first ones i check totally and that's mm-hmm. that's where my thought is because this is where it started this is the format it was in initially so if i were to get the sunday funnies i would turn to this one i would look for this one every yeah you'd go garfield fun day morning this would probably be above garfield for me really <laughs> i'm not i'm i like garfield oh snap i'm I like Garfield, but I think this is more current and up to date. Totally. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean, you're, to be fair, you know, when we we all have comics that we kind of aim 
for in the Sunday Funnies. Whenever I get a newspaper, uh, the first thing I do is flip to the comics before I do anything else. Oh, yeah. And, well, of course. <laughs> and who, wants, who wants to read bad news? <laughs> yeah, this is true. I read the sports section. Sorry. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I listen to the radio for sports radio. So. This is, yeah, there you go. But, you know, there's always a couple that I look for, you know, and I, I'll eventually read them all, but, uh-huh. you know, I'll, I'll go to, you know, BC. But and, there's definitely you know, there's a couple of them that I aim for first. Uh-huh. There's definitely a pecking order in the comics. Absolutely. <laughs> Funny page is the ultimate pecking order. If you were to say Aliyup is the lieutenant general to Garfield, you know, you would have a total hierarchy in a military system for which comic is the ruler. And the four-star general would probably be... Boondocks. There you go. So... And this, I would say, this is probably a very high-ranking officer. Absolutely. Absolutely. If if that is the most convoluted ranking system I've ever heard, I apologize. But that's how, that's the only way I can really... We need to find some way to use that for something else, frankly. Joe, what did you think? Uh, Yeah, I'll definitely give this a four, too. You know, it's... It's no gunnery sergeant. This is, uh... (laughs) This is corporal material. (laughs) Oh, that's too funny. I'm going to look for this on my Google Comics app I have for my iGoogle thing. You know, it's going to go right up next to Boondocks, Garfield. Yeah, after having read through this, I'm going to go to thefundaymorning.com and look for an RSS feed to dump onto my feed. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's like so... my homepage. I have a bunch of feeds, you know. Go. But I'm totally, totally going to try and incorporate this into my, like, the first thing I see oh, yeah. when I get on there. Because I would love to, you know, and I think that he updates, you know, once or twice a week. I really thought that his uh, his sense of humor really parallels mine. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is going to be an easy thing to work into my morning comic rotation. Totally, totally. All right, Admin. Say 4-2. Uh, what I would really like to see is a desktop calendar. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that would be a really cool thing. I, I think this is ideal for it. Hint, hint. <laughs> It would make yeah, a lot of sense. It surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me. He is actually involved, uh, if I remember correctly, he's involved in printing in some capacity. I can't remember off the top of my head. It's been a while since we spoke, but... No, he he makes uh, backstage passes. Right, right, right. But he is involved in printing in some capacity, so yeah. maybe he mm-hmm. could swing that. But yeah, Brad, if you're listening, which I hope you are, desktop man, make, cop, make a cop, desktop... so subtle. Yeah, that would be so <laughs> awesome. We would totally pick that up. That'd be great. Yeah, you got at least four cells. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and possibly Christmas gifts. So maybe non-Christmas gifts if you're the Brian. <laughs> Brian. <laughs> Those are happy holiday gifts. Happy Kwanzaa Hanukkah? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Kwanzaa? Kwanzaa? Kwanzaa Mahana Kanaka? Something? <laughs> Christmas Hanukkah. Yeah, there you go. Oh Something. Rosh Hashanah? <laughs> Robonica. 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 There you go. Yeah, I really do feel like this is a good solid four. I feel like this is definitely something, if it was in my local paper, it would be definitely one of the first things that I go to in the comic section. And you might actually read the local paper. I yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't buy it, but I might read it. <laughs> there you go. And uh, yeah, and I definitely am expecting to kind of incorporate this into the the list of comics that I just kind of have on my computer screen as I first start up Firefox in the morning. Sure. So yeah, very cool. So yeah, Brad, thanks again for giving us this comic to review, and and the generosity is hopefully netted an interesting podcast review on this and yeah we really love your stuff and looking forward to seeing more and you rock man very cool stuff it never hurts to give free stuff away (laughs) if you see me give me free stuff because i will take it my motto is if it's free ask for two mine is if it's free it's me and i'll take three (laughs) 
<laughs> Thank you, Kurt Rambis. <laughs> you got me beat. I, I take two only because I need one for myself and one for myself later. <laughs> I thought you were going to say one for my girlfriend. You were like, nope. No, no, no. <laughs> She's there too. She can ask for two. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I mean, geez. If you can't ask for your own, then I'm not going to give you one. <laughs> Once again, the book is book one. From Funday Morning Comics, The Neighbors Have Two Flamingos by Brad Diller. You can find Funday Morning at fundaymorning.com. That's F-U-N-D-A-Y morning.com. And yeah, check it out. Fun stuff. Updates on a real regular basis. One, two times a week. And and yeah, I looked through the the schedule and it looks like it's kind of a a Thursday, Tuesday, Thursday type thing. Um, But it comes kind of, you know, it looks like it comes out on different days sometimes. But at least one or two comics every week. And Sometimes comics are late. Sometimes comics are late. You're glaring at me. That's nice. I appreciate that. Anyway, all right. On that note, we're going to take a quick musical break. You're listening to Geek Life. We'll be right back. Geek Life, Panda Manga's very own podcast. So I've gathered all the Panda Manga crew here and newly met to experience something I am calling the Comics Time Warp again, 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 again. <laughs> this is a really cool idea. When you told me about it this afternoon, I was like, oh, that sounds awesome. Because I was totally expecting to do a zombie podcast. Yeah. And well, not this afternoon, the other day. And you said, can we do this? And I thought, yeah, screw zombies. We'll do that next time. <laughs> The Anthony just, just rolled over in his grave, even though he's not dead. No, he just rolled over <laughs> in, in his, his bed. <laughs> so, explain the comics time warp again, again, again. So, I I don't know where I came up with this idea. It's been something we've been working on for a while, though. Yeah, I've I've been kicking it around, wondering how I was going to incorporate this at any point. But uh, so I've got quite a comics collection. I've gone through it, and... You do? Yeah. You no. say? Hmm. Indeed. Quite. Quite. Hmm. Yes. Hmm. <laughs> so, I have recently discovered that my comics collection spans at least 80 years. You know, not a, like, continuous collection, you know... But you've got years. something from I have all something decades. from every, on. every decade going back to the 30s. That's awesome. And I've read quite a bit of these... <laughs> I don't just collect them to have my pretties. There is that, too. There is there is. Yes. There's one tonight that only I may touch. Wait, who's that one starring? Doesn't matter. We'll we'll get to it. We'll just say. Mm -hmm. 
So I've, I've read a lot of these, and the change in styles over the years, some decades, you can barely notice the change of style. But in others, it's so dramatic that it'll it, that it's dramatic. It'll knock <laughs> the pencil right out of your hand. Indeed. <laughs> wow. so, so I'm going to have everyone go around and read a page out of every decade. Awesome. So I believe, JP, you are up first with Dick Tracy. Nice. This is the 30s. This is the 1930s. So I want to preface this. Outside of Joe, none of us have read these comics. Right. We don't even know what they are. Yeah, frankly, we don't even know which or what or anything like that. Yeah. All right. Page 24 out of Dick Tracy, the 30s. Dick Tracy, the 30s. Okay, let's see. So this looks like a dinner scene. People are talking, sitting around a table. All right. So the caption is, in an effort to bring about... Uh, 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 that's not what they sounded like in the 30s. <laughs> oh, God. I don't know how you do a 30s voice. In an effort to bring about a... <laughs> in an effort to bring about a reconciliation between Tess and Tracy. Pat invites Tess out for an evening with... It's starting to sound It is terrible. I'm just going to read it now. Try a Bugsy voice. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to add Marisol at the end of everything. See, this is why the Henry needed to be here, because he could at least do voices. He can do the Bugsy voice, no problem. All right. In an effort to bring about a reconciliation between Tess and Tracy, Pat invites Tess out for an evening with the intention of dropping a good word for the former plainclothes ace. It's really hard to tell who the hell's talking. It's awfully nice of you to ask me out, Pat. I've been rather lonesome lately. Well, that's what I thought. And listen, don't be afraid to order. When I take a girl out, I shoot the works. (laughs) (laughs) Those are the words on the page. Wait, wait, wait. It gets better. It gets better. Finger bowls and everything. (laughs) Okay, okay. All right. Welcome to the 30s, everybody. All right. (laughs) I see your right eyes so well. Wait, what? (laughs) I see your right eyes so well that you've removed the bandage. Okay, must have been injured. (laughs) Or something. Yeah, I took took that off today. Okay. Take a breath. It got so every time I removed my hat, somebody dropped a penny in it. <laughs> yeah, see? Yeah, see? <laughs> All right. Okay. And while Tess and Pat move in an atmosphere of gaiety and fun, a well-known figure, off-duty for the night but still in uniform, stops to buy a paper on his way home. All the guys are going to sound the same. I'm just letting you know this right now. <laughs> well, boy, my dogs are barking. I'm beginning to realize what a cop walking a beat has to go through. <clears throat> now the cha- scene changes all the way back to the other one, totally jarringly. Right. <laughs> well, these were these were first published in strips. Oh, in okay. So. <laughs> Just, but I think you sounding vaguely racist. <laughs> Why am I sounding racist? Why am I sound- okay, what? No, you sound no, more no. southern. All right. Okay. All right. Who cares? Pat, who is that? Man, <laughs> son of a bitch! Well played, Adam. Pat, who was that dark man at the third table? I never saw him before, Tess. He looks like well, 
Maybe a hoodlum or some but shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Pat, I left my compact in my coat with the check room girl. Be a good scout and will you get it for me? Surest thing. I've got to know more about this dark man. <laughs> His face looks familiar. <laughs> this is the dark man sitting here. Oh, again, all the guys are going to sound the same. <laughs> all right, then. We'll meet tomorrow night at 10 o'clock, Harvard Avenue. And the river, okay? Okay. Good night, Tess. It's been a pleasure to take you out. And remember what I said about Tracy. I'll try. Good night, Pat. <laughs> Who was that dark man I saw in the cafe? <laughs> Could he have met what he was <laughs> oh, <laughs> this is great what, what could he have met <laughs> <laughs> theater is gonna rock oh <laughs> yes it is <laughs> we'll tell you about right, Panapiece right, theater on, all okay, there right. <laughs> I'm sorry I'm dying John? I have three battles left. John. JP, I believe in you. I always have. That's why I'm here. Alright, okay. Um, I could go on. What was that dark man I saw in the cafe? And what could he have meant when he said to the other, We'll meet at 10 o'clock tomorrow? Hope you know you know you're not allowed to edit any of this. Excuse me, John. I think that that second time she said that's still her voice right when he said yeah I know but, but it's her, she's, in her head she's remembering it that's what's happening oh, yeah, okay. I, I was expecting her to be saying it out loud I would interpret this as her doing an impression yeah, okay. so exactly that's what I thought alright that face oh now I think I recall where I saw it before that's one of the roughnecks big boy had with him when I was captive in his apartment that's who it is what should I do what should I do? There's something in the air, something important. But what? You <laughs> sounded like Tally for a minute. Oh, I'm not sure how. I, 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 I was actually Who is that pretty much in the cafe. Maybe if I, I have, maybe if I smoke a joint, I'll remember. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, like, more along the lines of Scarlett O'Hara. Oh, you know? my God. I've always depended on the kindness of strangers. I don't even know where all that happened. <laughs> <laughs> We're just to magic right there. Exactly. All right. That, so, was, that was the plan. Genius. That was, it's, it's, uh, wow. All right. All right. <laughs> so, so I, yeah, the 1930s were a very, this was before the comics code. So, the violence in comics could really really manifests itself. Mm -hmm. Like, on the cover right there, Dick Tracy with a Tommy gun, and... No eyes at all. <laughs> he is holding that Tommy He's gun really eyes. close to his face. That's true. Yeah, but they could smoke, they could drink, the bad guys had actual motives. This was kind of... This is what comics could have evolved from if the comics code didn't come in in and the 40s up. and, yeah, really bite yeah. us in the ass. Yeah. Boo, his... Exactly. Legislation. Well, I, I think as I was reading it, the one thing that was killing me was the way that the thought bubbles were drawn. Mm -hmm. It was clear enough who was talking based on the dialogue, but there was more than once where just looking at it, not reading what was in the bubbles at all, but actually just looking at the framing and everything, they looked like 
balloons with a string that just hung straight down. They didn't aim at anything. And that's kind of one of the cardinal rules of creating dialogue in a comic book is that you need to make the little tail point at the mouth, not the head, not the face, not in the general direction. You want to point at the mouth very specifically. And I'm criticizing something that's ancient <laughs> and probably more skillful than me and all that. But at the same time, it was very difficult to understand. Mm -hmm. And it was definitely a style choice. It wasn't something that happened once in a while. It was the way it always was. But it had some kind of like crazy mutant tail that had a yeah. little string imaging hanging off the end of it. It was very odd. Well, again, this was before there were rules about <laughs> right, right. making comics. Right. Yeah, you definitely before things were standardized. And, yeah. yeah. This is the caveman of comics. <laughs> but pretty cool. All right, who's next on the chopping block? Next up. Uh, you have to do voices now. Oh, yeah. It is, I, uh, it is happening. So. All right, just, just saying. So the admin gets my digital copy of Captain America Comics number one. The astonished men enter to find a surprisingly modern laboratory. The army officials gasp in startled amazement as the wrinkled old shopkeeper sheds her wizened features to become an absolutely beautiful young woman. The lady behind the rubber mask is X-13, one of our most trusted agents. Grover and his pretty agent silently motion the army men to seats in a small observation room as the scientists reveal the fruits of their experiment. A side door opens and a frail young man steps into the laboratory. Don't be afraid, son. You are about to become one of us. <laughs> I was so close! <laughs> okay, okay. You have so much less to read, it's not fair. <laughs> I'm <laughs> 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 trying to think German. No. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, son. You are about to become one of America's. <laughs> that was That's not working at all. Also, just because I was just thinking you, the Americas just, thing, I'm like, oh, this is awful. Nazi scientists in America. <laughs> Don't be afraid, son. You are about to become one of America's saviors. Calmly, the young man allows himself to be inoculated with a strange, seething liquid. There. It is done. Now to watch the reaction. I don't understand why it's seething. <laughs> How does liquid well, seethe? That's new to me. I'm well, different you know, era, different definition. I'm just like gay. really weirded out by the eyes here. Yeah. The, the white is... The art style is so crazy. <laughs> yeah. This one. I've, I've read the whole thing, Cap Comics number one, and the proportions are so strange, but... Really, the focus back then was the story. Mm -hmm. You know, the art was just the extra. Well, yeah. at the end of the day, that needs to be the focus. Yeah. There were a lot more just caption boxes versus mm -hmm. words. Exactly. But, I mean, Captain America here... I love the, here. the arrow caption box. That's freaking awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Pointing to the inset picture. Yeah, I mean, all things considered, I mean, like, okay, so this is just one decade later. This is one decade yeah, later. But it is an incredibly huge difference. Now, Comics Code has already been introduced at this point, correct? The comics Code comes in in the 40s. Or, was it the 40s or 50s? 40s. It was the 40s. Okay. There's a fascinating documentary on the history of comics that the History Channel did, I think in 04, called, I believe, Comic Books Unbound. Talks all about, like, the origin, goes up to the 90s and how its downfall, how piracy was starting to affect it, and talks all about the Comics Code. <laughs> That's interesting. It would be really cool to check that out. One of the things I wanted to share that I noticed was that it's so much more dynamic already. Mm -hmm. We're talking, I mean, and I'm talking particularly about the frames. You know, the frames in the Dick Tracy one, they were all exactly the same size. Mm -hmm. And just bang, 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 bang. Right? You know, there was nine on a page, all slightly rectangular, kind of wide format book. And this 
first of all, it's not wide format. It's not the strip like lateral side. It's vertical. But we've got some things breaking out of the frame and covering up other frames. We've got frames with a wavy line defining the top of the frame. We've got another person, a person, coming out of the frame. We've got a circular frame that is on top of two other frames, and on top of that there's a drop shadow on top of an arrowed caption box. It's so much more dynamic. Yeah. The frame is so much more interesting. It's much more spacious. There's a lot more use of negative space in the imagery. It doesn't feel so compressed and squeezed. The Dick Tracy, it was almost like they tried to squeeze everything in there. The mm-hmm. characters that were almost kind of bunched into the corner by the text. And this is, I mean, it's just the quality has jumped dramatically. Absolutely. Time. When Timely Comics started doing superhero comics... Back in Marvel number one, the formats changed so much because they had all these really crazy new artists, Jack Kirby and all, the these, Kirby. Yeah, all these new writers that totally redefined the style of comics, really made it into an art. It's interesting that from that one page that we just looked at that you can see that that was definitely the grandfather of comics we know today. Oh, totally. Mm-hmm. It's... Like you said, it's the same style, it's the same comic book, the superhero comic versus the newspaper style comic, and the story is different, the characters are completely different, it's somebody becoming more than a human as opposed to a human doing normal things, like the uh, detective and being able to fight other guys that are on the same level as him. This is a man that's becoming more and more powerful to fight people that are more powerful than average. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Starting to get into kind of America's and the world's really infatuation with superpowers and superhumans and becoming something greater and all of the responsibility and struggle and strife and, and literary opportunity for story that come along with that. I mean, it really is, it's a long-running love affair that we have with that. I don't care who you are. It reaches down and really connects with us on some level, powerfully, I think, to see somebody transform from just your average Joe dealing with all the stuff that we deal with, and then being able to fly, or it's super powerful, or fast, or something like that, and then all of a sudden, their life spins out of control with these incredible monsters and characters and villains that they have to deal with, and all of a sudden, their life has meaning, real meaning, and people really need them, for real. And the sacrifice of your normal life that comes along with that. It's just a great story. In its broad strokes has been told over and over and over and over and is still compelling i think it's interesting that um early comics and like the early superheroes are more average people you know superman was an alien but he was living on a farm with two run-of-the-mill farmers you know out in the middle of a corn farm in nebraska right and then even when he was in the city he was just a mild-mannered reporter mild-mannered exactly and then eventually as time goes on then you have iron man who's a rich philanthropist that Mm -hmm. has all the money in the world to do the things that he wants and it's kind of this different dynamic as far as captain america being the scrawny weak soldier becoming the strong guy and then to be able to still have that same mentality of being the weak guy, but now he hates strong, where you can see the problems of Iron Man come through because he's always had that money, and he's always been the the person that could do whatever he wanted. I think that's one of the things that's always been a struggle, and probably one of the most challenging things to write for Iron Man, is that he's, no doubt, a very difficult-to-relate-to character. Mm -hmm. You have to really spin a story that puts him in situations that us lowly humans have to deal with. Because even though he doesn't technically have any superpowers outside of his suit, the man does not live a life, or never lived a life, even before he was a superhero, 
that is anything like anything that most of us know. You know, mm-hmm. that's the one percent and plus sort of lifestyle, and so it's hard to really relate to. I mean, Batman yeah. shares a similar sort of challenge, although he's connected with us through, with tragedy. The, through tragedy that everybody deals with. And someday we all kind of expect to outlive our parents. And in some capacity, almost all of us, unfortunately, have been touched by some kind of violence. You know, so yeah. it's, it, he's instantly relatable in that capacity, but Iron Man doesn't seem to be quite that way. It's trickier, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I would almost consider Captain America in this day and age to be trickier to write and relate to because he is a man stuck in the 40s, mindset-wise. You know, that's why they kind of had to do the movie, the origin movie. They couldn't modernize it because you can't really modernize that character. It'd be completely wrong. Well, and also it's interesting to have a character who is so very dedicated to his country where there's so much there's dis- a, disillusionment nowadays. Yeah, there's such a it's schism not, in... Exactly. It's not as common as it was back then for people to be really nationalistic. It's there's It's almost uncool to be, you know... A patriot. A patriot these days, you know. Yeah. And so it's, it's, uh, I mean, I, not to say that it is uncool to be a patriot, and there are definitely people who, who are very serious patriots, but it doesn't seem like popular culture really leans in that direction anymore. And, mm-hmm. and it's almost, it's almost <clears throat> easier to be a self-hating American. Yeah, absolutely. To be the self-loving American, like, I'm like the proud American, like you said, of the forties or the the fifties. Well, they even touched on that with the Avengers movie where he became disillusioned with what S.H.I.E.L.D. was doing because they were using technology that he's fought so hard to get rid of. Exactly. They were digging it up and making weapons with it and the disillusionment, you know, that's a, that was a good point. Anyway, let's, let's do the next comic. We're getting way over time here. Well, speaking of mild-mannered reporter Clark Kent, Matt is going to read us Superman's Mermaid Sweetheart. <laughs> <laughs> what I read, or, or what I... What you intro with? What I introed with. Oh, dear. So go ahead and read both those. Both pages here? Mm-hmm. Sight of Superman's fury contorted features turns the cowardly fisherman's spine to butter. If the woman I love dies, there will be no corner in the universe where you can hide. I didn't mean to do it. I swear I didn't mean to do it. Help! This wound is serious. I've got to take her to a hospital at once. No surface doctor can help me. My physical structure isn't human. Take me back to Atlantis. It's my only hope. Guided unerringly toward Atlantis by his telescopic vision, Superman soon finds his path blocked by a giant winged sea monster with radioactive eyes. (laughs) (laughs) If those radioactive rays strike Lori, she's done for. The monster must have been hibernating under sea when it was awakened and strangely affected by radiations and the shock of a mighty undersea atomic bomb test blast. How specific. <laughs> yeah, I, Just in the yeah. eyes. I'm guessing really, in the, really specific. Well, I, I, love, I, love, I love that three it's Lori the mermaid. Yeah. You know? Uh-huh. Well, like, uh, this, this is so different from what we saw with the uh, Captain America comic. I mean, there's only... The first panel is Superman carrying a mermaid with a <laughs> evil fisherman running away. <laughs> and she's swooning, as a typical 50s woman would do. And then the next panel is a, a much smaller panel that is just kind of offset to the like the side underneath. And it's Superman over her because he's protecting her. And she's laying on the rocks on the beach just so swooned because she's... 
you know, she can't handle it because she's such a, a frail, fragile woman. She's such a frail Lori. Yeah. <laughs> and then as soon as the sea monster appears, it's, oh my god, radioactive everything. <laughs> Watch out for nuclear bombs. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's so crazy that that's, you can really tell that the main focus of the 50s was don't set off the bomb. Right? Mm-hmm. Well, and don't forget thing. to duck and cover. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and kiss your ass goodbye. Mm. We're missing a major point here. Joe, why the hell was Superman in love with a mermaid? <laughs> why wouldn't he? I'll, I'll let you read through that one. It, I, it's a heartbreaking story of Superman's first real love. And I, the I made fish. I, Superman mm-hmm. makes only one face in all three pictures. <laughs> I did yeah. my best to read the uh, the bold letters, bold the way they're put in there. Like the uh-huh. emphasis on radioactive is everywhere. Mm-hmm. Wow, their grasp of what a mermaid might look like is a little yup. <laughs> So yeah. funny. Would you, you say can... fishy? Oh. I, I hate you, Brian. <laughs> I was, it was there. Somebody had to say it, and the eighth Henry and Chaz aren't here, so. Well, you know, DC is sort of infamous for being pretty, pretty politically charged. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's kind of a byproduct of being an older company. You know, being around, mm-hmm. being very nationalistic and very and, supportive. And Superman being the first superhero. Yeah, I know. It's, it's funny. It's almost like you expect Captain America to be on DC. It's like, it's where he should be. Yeah. You know, it's just like, truth just and justice just the in the American way. Exactly. Is, yeah. Has always been his catchphrase. You know, when I was reading Or it. now that he's not a American citizen anymore, it's truth, justice, and all the other stuff. <laughs> you know, when I was... Uh, when Smallville. I was, yeah. When I was reading the, uh, the pages no, there... Superman Returns. I really, I really thought of the Watchmen and the atomic clock and all the things that they touched on with that. Right, and like that was very retro. That yeah, the way that it went through the decades and the focus on the different decades and the fifties. It was just so stereotypical of the fifties to be afraid of the nuclear bomb. Totally, mm-hmm. totally. Yeah, but in in this this book of comics, you can still tell that the art is a lot more dynamic than. You know, back in the 30s, where it's all very blocky and very one... Huge use of negative space in this one. Huge. Huge. I mean, really huge. And it's kind of hard to tell because this is a black and white versus the Captain America was a color. Right, Mm -hmm. and this is also a much smaller format. Yeah. Yeah. Would this have been originally a normal comic format, or is this the way it came out? You know, I'm not entirely sure. I think this was originally in the comic format. Mm -hmm. But... It's all line art. Which is interesting. There's no real shading going on. It was probably in color, then. Potentially? Yeah, so what we're talking about as far as the size, this book looks kind of like a little smaller version of a regular trade paperback book. Standard paperback book. I mean, we're talking maybe like 5 by 4 something like that. 5 by 3 Yeah, yeah it's like the that. size of a, of like a regular novel. When I first saw Joe pull it out, I literally thought it was a choose-your-own-adventure novel. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. That's perfect. That's, That's a slash from the past. You know, I was right thinking, you know, young kids kind of novel, That's but I was, thinking, like, I was worried they would think Dr. Seuss and choose-your-own-adventure. I was thinking more like uh, Encyclopedia Brown. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to be specific. So what's the next one, Joe? Next, I am going to read a page out of Journey into Mystery number 96. And only Joe touches this one. Only yes. Joe touches this one. This is from 1962. This one's double wrapped, by the way. Yeah. It's an original printing. We've been sitting here for 10 minutes waiting for Joe to unwrap it. It's taking quite a long time. This He's got gloves on. Superman tweezers. is just abstract insanity. <laughs> 
$1.25. It was expensive, too. Wow. Well, that's for five whole stories. That's a full trade. Still. And, you know, the book was from the 70s, but that story was originally printed in 59. Yeah, it's a reprinted story. Yeah, copyright 1963, this book's from. Oh my god, it's happening. He opened the pages. He's slowly going through the pages, trying to find the one he wants to read. Don't get too excited now. Don't breathe. Shh, shh, you're done. done. Alright. At that moment, as Thor regains the use of his limbs, by the gods, he's turned Washington Monument into a super lance. I could shatter it with my hammer, but I dare not atomize the National Shrine. Instead, I'll lasso its tip with my magic mallet and deflect its course. Back it goes to its original resting place. Blastor, he outwitted me. But not next time. I'll find something else that will permanently erase him. Then, as Thor races after the mad magician, You're done for, Thor. I've levitated that building. In an instant, it will come crashing down upon you. Can't get out of the way in time. It's moving too fast. A small sign behind him that reads, Pentagon, only authorized persons admitted. (laughs) But I sure can get out from under. Lo, Thor lies vanquished beneath the Pentagon. Phew, that was close. At the last instant, I caused the Earth to crack open wide enough to let me slip inside. (laughs) 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 Don't get too excited. Don't don't, uh, don't sweat on the book, Chip. Okay. Phew, that was close. At the last instant, I caused the earth to crack open wide enough to let me slide into an earth fault. Now to hack my way out. (laughs) With a hammer. With a hammer. (laughs) That got that got very very phallic. Lastly, <laughs> the tip. Yeah, he's throwing the good. Washington Monument. At him. Yeah, very good. I guess it was phallic through the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that that one seems super duper classic superhero cheesy kind mm-hmm. of. You yeah. know, in the sixties was the birth of all of the big Marvel superheroes. Spider-Man, the Hulk, Thor. And so the things that sound cliched at this point are being created here. Exactly. The cliches are being laid down and the foundation is being... Yeah, these are where the cliches were born. Mm -hmm. This was all exciting shit back then. You know what's interesting about that, though, is that the Captain America book that we looked at, it had that dynamic look of people jumping out of the pages and coming out of the panels and the different shaped panels... This was very blocky. It went back to that sort of like, here's the format. We put these right here, and that's where they go. And Mm -hmm. it was almost like it went way back to the style of the 30s with this is almost the serialized every week comic of this is where things belong. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, like I said, this is where superheroes became really big. This is also where the comics code really cracked down because there was a... We remember from the... uh, the panel, the mm-hmm. lecture mm-hmm. at uh, Abe, that superheroes were a big eh, sort of time for all of the the people in charge of printing these things because it was really hard to make believable villains when they weren't allowed to be glamorized in the slightest. Yeah, they weren't allowed to be really bad either, right? I mean, they had to be kind of. Sort of. I'll get you next time, Gadget. Yeah, they had to never win. Uh, they could never glamorize crime or evil, 
evil could never triumph over good at any point in the story. You know, at the worst in that story, Merlin freezes Thor. That's the biggest amount of evil he's able to accomplish. You did hear Joe right. Thor was fighting Merlin. Yes. A wizard. Mad Merlin. The mad wizard. The mad wizard. Who was the actual Merlin in the time of uh, Arthur Pendragon and was, oddly enough, a mutant, (laughs) as the story Let's on. Oh. Yeah, was he bit by something radioactive? No, no, like no, a mutant mutant. Like yeah, X, like, like, like an X-Men mutant. mutant. Okay. Yeah, he was one of the it's first like one of the original mutants. Like Apocalypse. Nice. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. Well, which one's next? Next, we have Matt reading my selection from the 1970s, The Frankenstein Monster. Actually, why don't we take a quick break, and when we get back, we'll get into Matt reading The Frankenstein Monster. You're listening to Geek Life. Don't touch that knob. Now Matt is going to read from Frankenstein's Monster number 17. Topping a small rise, the two man-made creations stop. To their left lie the Meadowlands, mile after rolling mile of wailing green grain, tossed like a yellow ocean beneath the sun. To their right stand the beginnings of the forest, soundless and dark, rich with the smell of ages old rot and decay. Observation, we are faced with two possibilities. He's a robot, right? Deduction. We must choose one or the other. <laughs> the monsters That's how sta- I talk when I'm in conference calls for work. <laughs> the monster stands looking for words to express his thoughts. Eyes may follow us in the meadow. There are no eyes in the forest. We go there, friend. The berserker nods and complacently follows the monster's lead, trusting in his friend to guide them both far from the walks of man, away from the paths of pain that have marked both his short existence and the monster's lengthy one. They are swallowed in shadows, lost in the forest's dark. So that was mostly narration. That was mostly narration. There's a substantial amount of narration there. It was. Yeah. 
This yeah. is still deep in that uh, 60s sort of feel for a lot of having to spoon-feed you the story. Yeah, yeah. I think there were only like two speech bubbles on that entire page. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was the uh, question and the response, and that was it. And then uh, the paneling looked a lot like the Thor comic with the same blocky style. I mean, there was a little bit more breakup between the panels, but it was still, here's what it looks like, and that's what it's going to look like. It did have a nice, like, dark colors to it. The uh, It really went with the story and the feel, I thought, mm-hmm. of using more earth tones instead of the bright blues. Well, what's cool is it's on the newspaper. It has color, but the color is like the dot tone color. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is that really classic pop art look, which is, is very, very unique and has a, has a particular kind of cool look to it. Yeah. You know, and he's often considered retro at this point, sure, but... Is, mm-hmm. is, not that it was. No, no, not that it yeah. wasn't. Yeah, no, but it definitely has. It's like I said, it has a very kind of unique look to it. Yeah. And, you know, the seventies was kind of the start of where comics were pressing the envelope. This is where you get characters. They're using you know the Frankenstein monster, and he's walking through the forest with his robot pal, and <laughs> <laughs> as you do, yeah. And they just want to be left alone. You know, it's it's a very solitary kind of deep story. You know, 70s also brought us Wolverine, a whole new class of X-Men. Really the first kind of steps towards rehumanizing our, our superheroes. You know, going from, I can do no evil sort of people to characters like Wolverine who are tortured and brutalized and turned into a killing machine and trying to redeem himself. And really... Right. Deep stories. Or yes. snarky douchebags like Peter Parker. Yeah. Ask the question of what is evil? Who is the evil one? Is Wolverine with the spotty past, is he the evil character or is he, or can he be a hero? Mm-hmm. And like Joe said, it really changes the direction that comics could have gone after that era. It's a transformative time. Yeah. Mm. Which brings us to the 1980s. Mm. Which I is the 80s. Which the Brian's going to read for us. A page out of The Crow. Nice! Oh, really? That's nice. Really? This past week, Brian did a Crow review for his Jaded and Biased review. Perfect. Nice. Absolutely perfect. Excellent. Okay, so here is page 30 from The Crow. Rejoice to the full in the glory that is about to be yours. Who are you? And give thanks to the Lord God who has called you to his kingdom. Man, I don't even know you. A year ago, a cold October night, a broken down car on a dirt road, a man, a girl, madness, pain, and shadows. My God, the shadows. You? And scene. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's that's it for that page. So... In Already my, a transition into way more visual storytelling, much less words. Yeah, there is mm. not a single setup kind of dialogue. No, there's no thing. narration. There's no narration whatsoever. Yeah. Now, I really believe James Obar, his The Crow series, is the birth of indie comics. This is what bridged the mainstream and the independent comics. This is where you could actually find something do well. Well, it, uh, it starts off. The first panel is the dude getting a whole shot in his arm, which is a 
complete departure from anything we've seen so far. Yeah, exactly. This is graphic violence, murder. And there's so much more attention to the faces, the detail on them, than the previous comics. But mm-hmm. a lot of the backgrounds have been kind of foregone. Gone, yes. Mm-hmm. As a matter yeah, of fact, there's only them. one panel that has a background at all, and it's really incomplete. Mm-hmm. A lot of negative space again, but I don't, it, it's a lot more visceral. Definitely. Very much so. When it got to this point. Yeah, this feels very visceral. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Almost like the backgrounds, the, the even the, the characters themselves are almost gestural in some way. Mm-hmm. You know, like that, you know, when you're, <clears throat> when you're doing a full body drawing, sometimes to keep you in track with a heavy motion, you'll make a sort of motion line, you know, to try and suggest the sort of direction that the body's heading, especially in a dynamic scene like that. And it helps for it to feel like one in the completed product makes it feel like there's lots of dynamic motion going on. And this one definitely feels that way. Even though it's a static image like that, it's full of motion and full of energy. Yeah. Very cool. And dark. Dark. Very dark. dark. My God, the shadows. (laughs) (laughs) You know, this, you know, this is what created the goth look. Was the crow <laughs> really and the cure and the cure? Yeah, but yeah. Well, I mean, well, that's the, what you listen to while you're reading the crow. Works for me. <laughs> Is there any connection there? I don't think so. Aside from a couple of songs on the soundtrack to the movie. Yeah. Well, right, but also at the same time, Eric Draven is supposed to be a musician in mm-hmm. a band. You know, maybe much like the Cure. You yeah. Know? You know, it's very. What, sensitive type of music, mm-hmm. very emotional. Well, one of the things though was like. American music was a lot more upbeat than music coming out of England. They were dealing with the whole Thatcher era at that point, and mm. a lot of the music that was coming out of England at that time was very dark, as mm. opposed to what was coming out of America, yeah, which was, was very a, bubblegummy. It was the height of punk rock. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, no one did it like the Brits did. Didn't even know how to play the instruments. Damn they just straight. got on stage and <laughs> broke things and hurt each other. And yell at each other, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> the good old days. Uh-huh. <laughs> so what's next, the 90s with Admin? The admin's taking on the 90s. Woo! You got my digital copy of Sin City, the oh. big fat kill. I make my way to my caddy and kick it into gear and cut across the park to pick up Jackie Boy heading like a bat out of hell up the hill. The condition he's in, he wouldn't notice if I was sitting right there in his back seat with his buddies, so there's no need to play it cute. I snuggle up right behind him, keeping pace at a way too fast 85 and leaving myself open for all the trouble in the world. Speeding. It's a good way to get yourself noticed. And if you're a murderer with a new face who's one fingerprint check away from the fast track to the gas chamber like I am, the last thing you want is to get noticed. It's a chance I shouldn't be taking. But I just can't go home and forget about it and let Jackie Boy and his pals find their fun. They're a pack of predators and they're out for blood tonight. A woman's blood. They won't get it. I'm in no hurry to kill anybody ever again. But I'll kill them if I have to. Then I hear a banshee cry, coming up fast. I've been noticed. I don't have nearly enough cash on me to bribe this cop. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> What's dun, dun, dun. happening? <laughs> so Frank Miller's a badass. Completely. Anybody that can literally use exclusively black and white. Yeah. Not ta- no ha- no hash marks, no mm-hmm. shading, no screen tones, no yeah. grays. That's it. And in this, this is really like a solarized comic. Yeah. And, you know, I picked this page in particular because it is all black and white. All very specifically two-tone. And it is all narration. 
Which fits in noir, frankly. Very, oh, yeah. very. At this point in comics, the comic code can go on. Yeah, point. Frank Miller has said, "Yeah, fuck that. I'm, I'm Frank Miller. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna make a. St- I'm gonna tell the story that I want to tell." Yeah. It really it's it's a crime that anything ever got in the way of people telling the story that they wanted to tell. Yeah, exactly. the forties to the nineties. That's that's fifty years that comics could have been going through this evolution that it's going through so rapidly now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're, but, we're all just sitting here reading it and watching it and looking at it again. It's it's kind of taking all of our attention away. <laughs> Miller will do that, though. Which is why I'm looking at the back of the screen. <laughs> so good. So good. Yeah, definitely very progressive. Yeah. It's a huge difference now. I have never been able to get over the negative space use in this and that solarized look. I wonder how it was actually done. If it was, if he actually drew the black or if he actually drew the white on the black. Like, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would be really amazing to hear an interview or, or see some kind of a breakdown of his process freaking amazing what's even more amazing is the job they did making the movie yeah <laughs> making it look like this yeah yeah like scene for scene mm-hmm. some of it it's i was impressed and i remember it didn't cost them much as far as movies go i think they made it on 40 million which considering it's a big summer blockbuster is pennies basically yeah yeah the fact that you could do this, and there's so many things I read or, or play as far as games where I just want to say, I want to see that on the big screen. And this is one of those things they did, like like you said, almost shot for shot, exactly the same. The narration read directly off of the page. Yeah, those of you that are listening that have never read the Sin City comics probably recognize that monologue. Yeah. Because yeah. it is exactly the way it is in the movie. Yeah, and like just the fact that it's like, Bam, this is exactly what you wanted to see when they said, yeah, we're making a Sin City movie. Holy crap. Holy, how did you do this? It's <laughs> it's completely everything I wanted to see. And I don't know how you could do it better. And that's mm-hmm. actually what makes it really the bane of comic book movies. Because the common thing that everybody says at a failed comic book movie is like, well, they were never going to be able to accurately translate it over. Of course, Watchmen isn't going to be right. Da, 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 da. It's like, Sin City. <laughs> You could do it, Sin City. Yeah. Sin City, if you look at Sin City, your first thought is, how are they possibly going to translate this to the big screen? There's no way. And then they did it. And, and you're like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> well, there that is. Yeah, so there's no excuse after this. And it's just so well done, both the comic and the movie. It just... Mm-hmm. So satisfying. It almost gives you goosebumps just thinking about it. Like, yeah. Just yeah I'm pretty sure that I need to like, watch it after this. Yeah, I mean, even the character <laughs> development, like the way that the characters look. The characters in the comic don't look like normal people, you know? Mm-hmm. They're very angular, very strange. And the fact that the characters in the movie look like that is like, ah, so good. It's one of those movies where you can't really complain about anything. Like, the casting was amazing. Yes. Mm-hmm. There's not one person in that movie that I say, yeah, they could have picked this person it would have been better the cinematography is amazing the capturing all of the color where it's supposed to Mm -hmm. be is amazing Mm -hmm. and i don't know what else to say about it (laughs) it's just a love story to the comic it really is absolutely well what's the next one next up jp you are reading brian lee o'malley's scott pilgrim book one page 45 i'm cold whatever it's like spring out dot 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 Where are we going? I told you 50 times. Well, I forgot, okay? Like it's my fault you're stupid. Sigh. 
So where? I'm seriously not telling you now. We're going to that party, retardo. At Julie's. Oh, man. This is such a great comic. This is one of my all-time absolute favorite comics. And one of your all-time favorite movies. All-time favorite movies. This is yeah. a movie I watch probably once a month. Wow. <laughs> Isn't it amazing that in the, the last two decades we read the comics for, they did great jobs translating into film? <laughs> That's true. That, I would say Scott Program is one of the only other times that they did an excellent job. I, the only thing that was frustrating for me is that they left out a lot of the story. Yeah. yeah. And they speed ran the entire thing. This comic book takes yeah, place over books. months. Yeah. Months and months. Mm-hmm. In like the timeline in the comic book, and then in, in this movie, it's like all of it happens in a couple days. Yeah, I think that's a flaw of cinema, really. Though, is that you only have two hours to put in something that I mean. A good example is a movie like Lord of the Rings. They did it over three movies, but that takes place over years in a book. And to me, in that timeline in the movies, it's like, oh, go over here, go over here, go over here, go over here. And it seems like it all happens really, really, really fast. I really feel like the best way that you can translate something like a comic book or a novel to the visual medium, like the video medium, is something like a miniseries. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like what they've done with Game of Thrones is probably one of the best translations that was able to keep in the most that they could. I mean, it's not perfect just like anything, but it's neat to see something like that happening. Yeah. And now I never think anymore, oh man, I wish they would make a movie out of this. I always think, oh man, I wish they would make a well-funded miniseries. An HBO miniseries. There you go, there you go. Well, yeah, the downfall of cinema is just time constraint. Totally, totally. So one thing that's really interesting about Scott Pilgrim, and I think Scott Pilgrim is arguably an independent comic type thing. Absolutely. Even though it has enjoyed, at this point, a great deal of mainstream success. It's it's had a movie, it's got a video game now. Which is freaking incredible. Yeah. Anyway, I, I'm such a fanboy. <laughs> anyway, so the thing that I really like about the Scott Pilgrim series as a artist and a struggling writer and all that is that Brian Lee O'Malley doesn't give a shit about it <laughs> making sense other than it making sense within the rules he's created for his world. So many times I'll be coming up with an idea, shooting the shit with Joe and, and 8th Henry and Admin, and, and we'll be talking about coming up with a story, and I will find myself boxing myself in to the rules of the world that I live in or the rules of the world that I perceive the characters live in and not allowing myself to just be like, fuck it, why not this? Why not that? What the hell? Does it make sense? No, but it's my world. Fuck you. You know, and that's one of the things that's so great about Brian Lee O'Malley's Scott Pilgrim is that there is shit in Scott Pilgrim that makes no damn good logical sense whatsoever, mm-hmm. but it happens consistently in the story, and the characters are like, well, yeah, that's that's the way it works. That's veg- how it is. The vegetarians with powers. Exactly. See, <laughs> No, vegans. Like- sorry, vegans. Vegan, vegan, yes. Yes. Exactly. Sorry, sorry, sorry. So it's things like that that I find rejuvenate me for creating comic books. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of comics that I read that I feel like, oh my god, this is so above me. It's so amazing. I feel so, ah, you know. And I'm not saying that I feel like I'm skill-wise trying to compare myself to Brian Lee O'Malley. What I'm trying to say is is that his stuff is such free-flow creativity. Yeah. He's a really everyman sort of comic creator. Absolutely. You know, he comes up with stuff and puts out and finds real conventional success with wacky, weird, off-the-wall stuff that would fall strictly into the category of things that I would often go, that's cool, but that's a little too much. That's a little too crazy. I'm going to have to 
polish that. I'm gonna have to adjust that. I'll have to mess with that. I'll have to tone it down a little bit. And you could very clearly tell that he had a crazy idea and somebody was like, I don't know, that's a little wacky. Why don't you maybe do this a little? And he's like, no, fuck that. I'm gonna do this. And it's crazy and it works. And it does. It does work. And it's just, mm -hmm. that's, like I said, I just find this comic book so free. And I'm glad we're having a chance to talk about it finally because it's something that I, I would really <laughs> like to say on the podcast and I've thought about often. It's like the Scott Pilgrim comics is where I go, one of the places I go when I'm hitting a wall creatively. I'll go and I'll read the comics and remind myself that it's okay to do wild, crazy, random, off-the-wall stuff, that it works, that it has a place, mm. and that you don't have to live in the cage of your own creation. That, and then also Miyazaki stuff, just always <laughs> oh, <yeah>. knocks <laughs> me on my back, because well, he's so amazing. Just a reminder, you know, you are writing a comic, or, you know, drawing a comic, where one of the characters is a walking-ish, talking pencil, and everybody's just, okay... <laughs> he, he, can he can do whatever you want. Yeah, he can do whatever he wants. yeah he's a pencil he, that he, talks. he has been known to sit up without breaking. <laughs> so there is that. But exactly rubber, rubber pencil trick. Exactly. Yeah. But that's yeah. Anyway, I'm totally tangenting on Scott Pilgrim. Um, that was the idea, though. Yeah, but that is that is how it feels for me. Mm -hmm. I, I really feel like Scott Pilgrim is a reminder that there's no limits to what a good comic can be. Yeah. Frankly, a good story, period. Totally, mm -hmm. totally. Although I really would argue, and flame me if you like, but you can just go to hell. I think comics are the highest medium of storytelling. Because you've got visual, you have the flexibility and the patience and the time to be able to tell a story with words that you can do in a novel. You can get across a big epic story, but you can also literally show people what you want it to look like and literally put pictures to those words. And you're not stuck trying to squeeze it into an hour or a miniseries. You're not stuck trying to produce it and have to have investors come in and get their hands in the pie. You and your tablet or you and your India ink and your pad of paper can make a comic book. And I feel like it can be the most pure expression of somebody's creation, of somebody's deep down, you know, need to express themselves that you can ever accomplish. That's one of the things that comics is so great about. That's a, that's a really good point because with comics, you can write until you're done. You're not constrained by what a printer combined in a book or like we said, you're not constrained by the, the time allowed in a TV show or you're not constrained by the... The time allowed for a movie. Well, for independent comics or, or a graphic novel. If you're talking about serialized stuff, if you're trying to get working for the big comic companies, all of a sudden then then the Iron Gates start to close in. Well, yeah. But, but comic books as a medium is so flexible yeah. and allows for you to tell such a complete story. Well, it allows you to do all the visual stuff, you know, pictures worth a thousand words. Sure, the pictures aren't moving per se, unless it's a digital animated GIF comic, but that's another story for another day. Um, but you have also the flexibility of not just having the visual stuff, but you have words. And there are so many things in novels and stuff where it'd be like, this would make such a cool... No, you really can't turn that into a movie. Because exactly. it just won't work. There's a series of books that I read called The Dresden Files by Jim Butcher. And there's a lot of people that don't like the first-person perspective books. They feel like... I don't know. The people have lots of very strong opinions about that. Some people really like it. Some people don't care. Some people freaking hate it. Some people think it's amateur. Whatever. But there's been more than one book that I've read that has been in that style that really clicked with me. I liked it a lot. And it just never translates well. Ever. Ever. To that sort of a thing. Like The Ender's Game is another good example. It's a very fine book. 
but there's a lot of internal monologue. You can let your reader into the world and the mind of a character. You can communicate what a character is all about and what's really going on in such a complete way if you have the flexibility to have words on a page. You're talking about a first-person perspective of, of writing a book. Mm-hmm. I think you're so much more constrained and it's harder to write in that style because you can only write about what's happening to that one person. If you write in like the third person or like the omniscient point of view, you can write and do and say whatever. You can look into somebody's head and know what that person's thinking. Right, but what I'm saying is is yeah. that you can you know, I'm not saying that you want to stick necessarily into that one way of of speaking, but Sometimes it's awesome to be able to hear what a character's thinking. Yeah. Whether or not that's the way the whole book is done is not necessarily what yeah. I'm advocating. No, I'm, what I'm, I'm saying just is backing that, up your point. That right. It's not as easy as... Oh, yeah. It. Okay. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, because there's, for some reason, I've been listening to this really excellent podcast called The Secrets. It's like a defunct uh, writing podcast. I way highly recommend checking it out. Um, lots of really cool information about writing. And one of the things that the gentleman on there says, and I, his name escapes me, but is that there's kind of a bad stigma about the first person, you know, mm. writing. And there's a lot of really excellent books that are written that way, you know, and it is arguably a more challenging way to do it. Yeah. And the Dresden Files in particular are a detective in a very, distill it down, it's a detective story. And so you are with the character who is supposed to figure it out, but they somehow manage to, Butcher manages to create a story and have you there for everything that's happening, and have him figure it out, have Dresden, the character, figure it out before he's willing to show you. And so somehow he manages to, and it's, it's, just, it's just magic how he makes it work, and it's really, really cool. But anyway, so let's move on. Who's next? Uh, I think Matt was going to finish sure. off tonight. I'll do it. I got Action Comics number one. This is from The New 52. Is that Matt whining about The New 52? <laughs> this, this Not a fan? Uh, Arg. Uh, page page six and seven. Does he have jeans on? He has S- jeans on. This and is, a short sleeve t- son of a bitch. This is Superman in his early years. This madman out of nowhere, a red parachute. He got Mr. Glenn Morgan. Go go downstairs, sir. One of our officers will take your statement. How do you do this to a gun? Won't somebody help poor Mr. Glenn Morgan? Careful, he's strong. There ahead, it's him, sir. That is that him? That's. Oh no. Put that man down, you maniac. Step away from the edge. Sure, officer. I'll put him down. Just as soon as he makes a full confession. To someone who still believes the law works the same for rich and poor alike. Because that ain't Superman! Somebody save me! Mm. Yep. Comics have gone back to the 30s. <laughs> Being very political, very charged by the climate. This first issue of Action Comics is really hammering in that 99% sort of mentality that so much of the country is going through right now. The rich people get away literally with murder. And who can stand up to it but Superman? Superman! I just love, and you can tell by my voice that I'm not serious at all. The fact that they threw in a Smallville reference. I know. I was hoping I wasn't the only one that got that. Wait, I missed that. It's the theme song. Did somebody save me? Yeah. I just think it's terrible that he has jeans and work boots on. And (laughs) And a short sleeve t-shirt. And a mini cape. 
Yeah. It's a mini cape? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's a half cape. Oh my god. Uh-huh. That's the sort of outfit that you wear mockingly to this exotic erotic ball. <laughs> like, that's... Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. No, this is like the, the cheap, like sexy cheap... Superman. This is like the cheap, 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 cheap costume. You know, it's like, oh, I went to Target and saw the, like a Superman, Superman shirt and I'll just wear jeans. And a red towel. And a red towel, exactly. <laughs> no, it's like you were shopping in the pet section <laughs> on Halloween, so there was hardly anything left to start with. It's just not good. Oh, my God. You know. Yeah, overwhelmingly, the New 52 has been pretty disappointing. There's a couple of gems in it. Yeah, but, I mean, there's a lot of mm. new stuff. There's As in, what, 52? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I mean, of the stuff that I've come across and that you've talked to me about, it seems like you could probably count on one, maybe two hands, the stuff that's really worth reading. Yeah, out of 52. <laughs> you know what uh, What really strikes me about this is just looking at the cover of this issue, I would not buy it. Yeah, no. No. Boy, does he look so like a douche. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and like... In the end, isn't that what makes you want to buy a comic is the cover? Oh, yeah. Like, you have to look oh, at the yeah. cover and be like, oh, this looks awesome. This looks terrible. You know what really gets me? This actually shows just the inked version. What the? the color- He's got patches on his knees. No, like, that's he, just shading. Are you serious? Like, he makes Booster Gold look like a stand-up good guy. <laughs> so, what I was saying Booster is... Booster Gold is a cock goblin. <laughs> Great. Never mind. <laughs> just no point. That, that's a John one. You can keep that. Uh, that that's, that's a John original. Thank you very much. So. <laughs> we should cut that out. In, no, no, that stays in. Back in real world point. So this file actually shows the inked version of the cover and then the colored version. And this kind of speaks to, okay, fine, maybe there are patches. <laughs> Fuck. Okay. This kind of speaks to a problem that I have with a lot of modern comics is that it seems like the skills that go into doing the inks are still very much there. They've kind of evolved to this really fine quality work of art, but everybody's doing their comics in Photoshop now and it looks so outstandingly shitty. And there are some comics like, uh, to reference what we were talking about last week, the Planet of the Vampire Woman? So Vampire it, Woman in space. space! So that guy's painting, even though he did it in Photoshop or some digital program, is still really nice. He was very responsible with his shading and so on and so forth. I noticed that a lot with these comics, like the mainstream comics <laughs> in particular... Pregnant. Okay, yeah. Well, Matt's just pointing out some really weird anatomical issues, but I'm noticing a lot with the mainstream comics that they're irresponsible with their painting. It's really mm-hmm. sad. It feels like they think, all right, we have the ink. Let's just slap some color on this and call it a day. It just looks really bad, really, really amateurish, honestly. And it's really frustrating because you could see some of the most dynamic shots. Like this one right here, we have a train going down a street where it's obviously not supposed to, but it's kind of a tilted angle and the perspective is beautiful. You get a lot of this really excellent perspective in comics nowadays and it's just offset by overwhelmingly terrible photoshopping. The paint is so bad. There's actually Gargoyles, the series Gargoyles from the 90s cartoon by Disney. It was carried over into a comic book a couple years ago and I literally stopped reading it because the paint was just so horrendous and... 
so they didn't keep artists, so the art I, style was I really, I really feel like there's nothing wrong with black and white comics. No. no. There is this insane need for the mainstream superhero comics to always be in color. And I just don't feel like that's necessary. I feel like if you're going to do color, color, sure, color can absolutely elevate something. But it has to add to it, not take away. And this is exactly what the admin's saying. There's all kinds of really excellent pencilers and all kinds of really excellent inkers. And that quality level seems to be pretty consistently high in these comics. But the color... Is just all over the place. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's amazing. Sometimes it's not so much. I Vampire was one of the ones that I really enjoyed out of the New Fifty Two, and that uh, the color and that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, very noir like and heavy yeah. uses of darks and all that. But I just don't think that it's necessary for things to be in color. And you know, when it's coming across as amateurish, when somebody who works professionally in the game art and design world can look at something and go, "Oh, that's done in Photoshop. That's this filter. That's that's brush. That's you know," it's just kind of like. Come on, guys. If you don't really want to do it in color, don't do it in color. You know, throw in some screen tones, add a, add a couple hash marks here and there, and call it a damn day. It's like, there's nothing wrong with a good comic in black and white. That Superman comic looked great that we read earlier. Well, here's how it goes down, you know? You can easily just have an army of cheap interns do all this sort of stuff. Yeah. You know, what? fresh out of college. That sort of a thing. I kind of feel like that's what's going on. Because it seems to me, the way that this is looking right now, it used to be in comics you would have different levels of colorists. You'd have a flatter, somebody who would put down the flat colors, and then you'd have a lead colorist who would come in and put in the shading and actually spend a lot of consideration on how things should look. It now seems like they're handing a couple pages to just some random person and say, okay, go. In some comics, maybe it's the same person. If it's a larger comic, maybe it's not. It just looks really bad. Yeah, whenever you have multiple artists working on something, especially multiple artists working on the same aspect mm-hmm. of a comic page to page, like having lots of different inkers and lots of different pencilers and lots of different colorists and things like this, man, you are rolling the dice. You're big time rolling the dice. I think at the end of the day... I mean, who knows if that's actually what's happening? Probably not, but... It's hard to say. But at the end of the day, I think a good, strong rule that everybody should consider is, does your comic really need the photo flare filter? <laughs> oh my god. Because I just saw three or four of them. Like, yeah, every that? time there were what headlights... About? It's just so bad! I'm pretty confident that people stopped using the photo flare filter in, like, professional illustration a long time ago. Yeah. Um, this is professional illustration. (laughs) Apparently not. (laughs) Like I said, you know, it's just... I can pick out individual brushes. That is not a good thing. And the poor 2010s, man. We're just tearing it up. So, art style aside, you know, Matt's been scrolling through this. What's the story here? He's... I don't know. Yeah, he's stopping a rich guy who is... Got got away with something. Got away with something. I think he was like a slumlord or something. And then stopping a uh, a rogue L-train, and they break out the SWAT team, they break out the army, and they're all trying to take down Superman. This is really anti-establishment. And it's way, way anti-establishment for anti-establishment's sake. Which is what I'm finding is a huge trend in comics these days. Yeah, and it's seemingly getting increasingly heavy-handed. 
Yeah, I mean, you can have a perspective. You actually you damn well better have a perspective mm-hmm. if you're going to try and make a statement in a comic book. Yeah. But you don't got to beat me over the damn head with yeah, it. Yeah, the whole recent Avengers versus X-Men thing was you know, the government trying to deny the rights of a, a subsect group. You know, they wanted this great power to try and solidify their their cause. And the government said, no, 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 it's too dangerous for you. And so they felt totally unjustly persecuted and started a big war over it. And it's it's the same thing over and over again. They're really beating in this whole, I don't really want to call it like anti-government sort of mentality, but it's anti-establishment. Definitely it's anti-establishment. Yeah. It's just so strange for Superman, too. I mean, this yeah. is completely Truth, against justice in the, the American, American way. way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, apparently in the more recent ones, the actual Superman comics, he has quit his job at the Daily Bugle and started a blog. Oh yes. my god. Okay, and he's well, also good and night, Superman, everybody. And Superman has renounced his US citizenship. He is a man of the world. Oh, and with that, I think we're finished. Oh my god. Good night, everybody. Yeah. Joe, that was a really cool segment, and I hope that we can bring it back and maybe go through a couple different ones every once in a while. And uh, yeah, we really, really enjoyed it. So very ingenuitive and and this is why you are a geek life host. <laughs> the brilliance just oozes. Ah. Well, I'll I'll mop that up before I leave. Okay, yeah, don't let it get out of your brain. I won't. You got your own. You got your own. You got yeah, yeah, yeah. I got a raincoat. Uh, it's really I'm just good. kind of a mess in here of losing. <laughs> All right. <laughs> let's, let's, and let's, on that let's, note, let's go ahead and let's go ahead and wrap this of up. genius everywhere. Well, thanks for listening to Geek Life, Panamega.com's very own podcast, Comics Edition, episode 25. 25. That is a landmark. Yeah. That is a landmark. Damn, we should have drank. Yep. No. No, we didn't. No. <laughs> yeah. no. I agree with Joe. <laughs> yeah, I probably always agree with Joe. I did offer you guys beers earlier, so you, you can did. Talk you shit. did. You are a good host. You're Thank good you. Host. Thank you. And Thank maybe you. when we hit 30. Hey, yeah, absolutely. Uh, a lot yeah. of drinking will happen when we hit 30. <laughs> it isn't it very exciting to have been there from the beginning and seen the evolution from sitting around in my room. <laughs> with, with an Ryan, iPhone, with an iPhone, rambling and babbling and having no clue what we're doing, to really, really having it, you know, pretty well figured out, and lots of episodes later, and lots of fun, mayhem, and craziness. Oh, well, I was going to say, now sitting around in a living room, still having no clue what we're doing. <laughs> well, there is that, yeah, <laughs> an inkling, maybe. Yeah, you know, actually, I was thinking, but we have really, really nice equipment now. Oh yes, yeah. this is true. Although, of course, ever that kaizen of constant improvement. I've been oogling all this cool, expensive gear, and I've I've got a plan to have us sound super crazy professional, but it's and it's going to cost us only about seven or eight hundred dollars out the door, and we'd have like the best recording gear we could need that would be flexible for everything. So, Ooh. yeah, so really exciting. So me and and luckily it's things that we can get in pieces for the most part. So. Mm. That's a wrap, you guys. Thanks for listening to us ramble on and on. This has been a super long podcast, and you should treat yourself to a piece of candy. <laughs> piece of candy. Ooh, piece of candy. Yeah. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Matt. Hopefully we'll have you again on soon. Yes. Soon. Thanks for listening to Geek Life. We always love to hear from our listeners, so please email us at geeklife at pandamanga.com. 
with any questions, comments, or insights. Anyone interested in becoming a PM contributor, visit our contact page at contact.pandamanga.com and complete the form located there. Music has been provided by Air Plus Recordings. As always, links to the artists and songs featured on this episode are available in the show notes at podcast.pandamanga.com. If you'd like more information about Air Plus Recordings, visit airplusrecordings.com. This is Joe, and we'll see you next time. Every now and then, do you get this uncontrollable urge to bite into something that's really got some meat in it? Are you tired of sugar-sweet snacks that dissolve in your mouth and crunchy snacks that you can hardly tell you ate and all other boring stuff you have to put up with every day? Well, take heart. And while you're at it, take Slim Jim along in your pocket. Slim Jim is a chewy, all-meat snack that comes in five very unboring flavors. Mild, spicy, salami, bacon, and pizza. And you can find it at the grocery store or at a lot of those places where you've been getting those sissy snacks. You might want to carry a few extra ones too. Then, if you meet a werewolf, you can give him something to sink his teeth into instead of you. A little less than a meal, a little more than a snack. Smack into a Slim Jim! Ooh, yeah! Now, see? (laughs)